Hello, 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 and welcome to If Saints and Sorrow. I'm Galibe, and I'm going to be your host for this episode, the next five after this, and who knows, maybe a few more after that. Um, just to introduce myself, I am from England, as you can probably tell, as you can hopefully tell, but I've been living in Northern California for almost nine years now. The whole time I've been here, I've been actively involved in a large megachurch here. And um, the next question you're probably asking yourself is, well, the first question you're probably asking yourself is, well, Galibe, why did you think that starting a podcast would be a good idea? And the long and short of it is, we're all trying to make sense of this period of time that we're in. Um, This is the strangest year of my life so far. And we are only halfway through June. So we've still got we've still got more than half of the year to go and this is legitimately the strangest year of my life so far. Um there are so many things that are happening. There are so many there are so many narrative arcs that we could spend hours upon hours dissecting and talking about. And I just I there's just this thing that I feel where I can tell people are trying to make sense of stuff. And I'm seeing so many people who are just who are processing so much. Um, even before everything happened with George Floyd and the the everything that sprung up out of that, I was wanting to start a podcast, and it just felt like I just wanted to number one let people know that you're not crazy to feel the way that you feel. I know that there are a lot of people in pain, and there are a lot of people in disbelief. There are a lot of people who are who are just trying to find a healthy, trying to find a safe space, as it were. And I know that, I know that term has been vilified so much, but honestly, we all want safety. We all want a place where we can feel like we can, uh, where we can relate. And hopefully if Saints and Sorrow is a place where, where, hopefully it'll be a safe space for some of you. It might not be many of you. That's, that's actually really, really okay with me, but if there's someone who this touches, if there's someone who it helps, if there's someone who it encourages, then that's all I need, honestly. Um, and so, well, f- another question you might be asking is, why is this called of saints and sorrows? So, this podcast is basically going to be about it's it's about faith, it's about my faith walk, it's about the faith walk that people who believe similar to me are walking are going down. But at the same, I've, I've noticed that. We don't actually give much space to sadness in uh to sadness to lament to grief um so often there's almost this pressure to to shy away from the hard things to move on and to get straight back to joy and honestly, I just wanted this to be a place where I could talk about difficult things and maybe not necessarily come to a resolution which is what people want so much when we're when we're in the midst of difficult things and honestly that's probably one of the things that is driving so many hard and horrible interactions that you're having on facebook people just want resolution people just want this to be over and done with people just want this to be wrapped up nicely in a package but that's not where we are and that's why things are so difficult um and so yeah that's that's why I started this podcast but this is more of an introductory episode I wanted to give you the listener a bit of background on me a bit of background on my journey and then in the next 5 episodes after this we'll be tackling some 
we'll be tackling some different things. And then if you do have any questions that you'd like me to answer or address, you can actually send an email to of saints and sorrow at gmail.com. And if I get enough questions, then I'll do a sixth episode, um, which will be my honest attempt to answer the questions that people send in. But I do want to give a huge, huge, huge disclaimer that I am by no means an expert. I'm just some guy on a podcast. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I came to the US about nine years ago. I came to be a part of Bethel Church. I came to do the School of Ministry. And honestly, I am so, so, so thankful for the so much of the teaching that has come out of Bethel Church, the way that it has shaped so much of my understanding, so much of my life. I know that without without so much of what came out of here, I can't I can't even imagine what my life would would look like if I hadn't encountered the teachings from this house, from this place that I'm still actively involved in. Um and I think things started to kind of unravel for me. And I'm going to say it sounds a bit dramatic, but bear with me. I think things kind of started to unravel for me in 2015. Um, to be honest with you, it was when Trump, Donald, President Trump, he descended the golden escalator and he made that comment about these Mexican immigrants being, um, what was it, rapists, some rapists, criminals, drug dealers, some of them I assume are good people. I've misquoted him, but um, I'm sure you understand the point. So before I came here, um, I was reading a lot about revival culture, and I was struck so much by the attitudes that some of these heroes of the faith took. So you, you have to understand that for me, being black and growing up in the UK, first of all, we didn't really learn that much about black people in history, uh, in history classes. I'm trying to, besides, besides Martin Luther King and besides a little bit about Nelson Mandela, um, I'm really, really struggling to think of black people who we learned about in history. And one of the things I quickly had to adjust for as I was learning about history was we'd be talking about all of these people who had done these great and mighty exploits. But then at the same time, I was always kind of waiting, um, waiting for what I called the hit when you'd learn something reprehensible about the beliefs they had in relation to um, people of color. You know, one good example of this would maybe be Winston Churchill. Um, yes, great exploits for the UK during the Second World War, but if you just dig a little bit deeper into a lot of his beliefs, you find a troublesome character. So as I was reading about people, take for example like Charles Finney, like John G. Lake, like um, A. A. Allen, like Jack Kerr, like Catherine Coleman, I was... I was I was always waiting for the hit basically. I was always waiting for the book to for the book to be like oh but then they said or did this horrible thing. But take John G Lake for example, you know, in the early 20 in the early 20th century, he goes to South Africa, a country that we all know has a very very complex history with regard to race relations and much to the chagrin of the white people who had brought him there. He makes friends with the indigenous people there and he puts his arm around them and he refers to them as his brothers and sisters 
which you know in the early 20th century you can only imagine how mind-boggling that would be um you have Charles Finney, who was an outspoken abolitionist. You have people like John Wesley as well, who was also an outspoken abolitionist. And what's crazy to me about that is how how much they stuck out, how much they went against the grain of their contemporary society. And I, that always really impacted me. That always made me feel like I'd feel so safe within the walls of the within the walls of any kind of charismatic church. And I remember once articulating it to myself that hey, people who have the Holy Spirit, charismatics, that's the language that we use of ourselves. We say we've got Holy Spirit, um, <laughs> which you know we could dissect that phrase as well, but. I remember articulating to myself, people who have Holy Spirit, they get it. And so all of a sudden I'd made this construct in my mind that said charismatics, no matter what color they are, no matter how old they are, no matter how small the town they grew up in, they are just going to get it. They are going to understand. Racism is not something that I'm going to have to contend with in that space at all. And so... um, I came to the States in 2011, and this was around the time that Obama was going to start running for, who's going to start campaigning for his second term. And in the UK, when, I remember when Obama was, was elected in 2008, and some of my friends were really, really, really excited about it. And I was a bit kind of like, mm, I don't know, like, I, I, I thought he seemed like a cool guy. I thought he seemed funny, but I didn't think that he was going to be this 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 great magnanimous president who would change everything and who would completely change the structural fabric of the states i thought to myself well honestly i feel like the us is still kind of going to be pretty racist and seems like he's already having a tough time and i'm not actually that interested in it uh, you know uh, one of my, one of my roommates who i lived with in college he went to the the student union at like three o'clock in the morning just so he could watch the uh just so he could watch um the the results come in he asked me to come he begged me to come and i was like no i don't think so i'm just gonna go to sleep honestly so i came to the states all that to say i came to the states um largely indifferent to president obama i didn't dislike him but i wasn't a huge super fan and one of the things that was so strange to me was how from my perspective it really felt as though everyone disliked him not even that it felt like there was almost a a simmering resentment towards him and i just really didn't understand that but I, you know i i do have to be fair here and say that when you when you're part of a mega church when you're part of any kind of large organization that you're not going to have some kind of monolithic experience. You know, for example, Chris Vallotton, one of the senior leaders, he would speak pretty pretty regularly about how much he loved Obama and um he didn't agree with him politically. He'd say that as well, but I, he wasn't he wasn't preaching that Obama was ruining the country or that Obama was part of some secret plot to destroy the USA, which is what some of my fellow students would say or what I'd hear from perhaps other leaders. And all of that was so confusing to me. Um, and then obviously I was here when Obama won the, won the second term. And again, people were so, so, so angry about it. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And what, another thing that happened in 2012 was, was that Trayvon Martin got shot. And that was so... 
that was the first one for me. And since then, there have been so many more. You know, I could list them all. Um, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, John Crawford, Sandra Bland, um, Freddie Gray, etc., etc., etc. And it was this thing where I was so surprised by the lack of response, the lack of visible response from, you know, by and large, from the people around me. Um, and you have to remember, I walked into this environment thinking that because they have Holy Spirit, because of the um, because of the way in which we charismatics say of ourselves that we speak directly to God the Creator, because of this because of this one on one relationship with God, I thought they would understand it. I thought they'd I thought they'd have compassion. I thought they'd have empathy, but that was that was far from my felt experience and. Um, I remember even once saying to someone, I bet that if Obama announced a huge tax hike on the wealthiest people in the States, a lot of the Christians around me would be more vocal about that than they would about a young black boy getting shot for no reason by a police officer. And this whole, it was, it was really, really difficult for me to deal with at first. And it, it took me on a journey that around about the same time, deconstruction was a bit of a buzzword. And I didn't go on deconstruction. I did not deconstruct. But I describe it as I thoroughly re-examined the face of Jesus. Um, I was often told and it was often kind of communicated to me by my peers, essentially just like, hey, just just focus on Jesus. Just focus on, uh, just focus on Jesus. Just focus, just focus on salvation, and everything's going to be fine. By implication, um, what they were trying to say was, "Hey, Jesus doesn't really care about this whole thing about race and racism. He doesn't really care about how maybe uh, afraid he might feel in the presence of police officers." Just don't focus on that. Focus on Jesus. But then, all of a sudden, if there's a tax hike or if Target says something about having transgender bathrooms, all of a sudden everyone's up in arms and we have to, we have to fight for that. We have, to, we have to take a stand. We have to use our voice. And um, so I was, that, was, that was all really confusing for me, really, really frustrating as well. You know, um, I, still remember, I still remember a time when this was, this was after a less well-known incident where... And where a police officer showed up to a house party in McKinney, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And there were all these teenagers there, you know, and it was a it was a mixed crowd of black and white kids. But then this police officer, he kind of lost control. He he pulled his gun out on these black teenagers and people were rightly people were rightly very incensed about this. And rather than rather than again finding compassion from a lot of my peers, what I found was dismissive um, they they were dismissive of it and they tried to shut it down. And the first piece of concern that I experienced from someone who wasn't my wife was actually from one of the cashiers at Trader Joe's, who is outspokenly not. You know, I know that she, I know that she loves me. She's she's my favorite cashier at Trader Joe's, um, but she's 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 very clearly not a Christian. She's uh, she lives a lifestyle that a lot of people in the church at large would find would find very very disagreeable but she was the first person who was like hey i just want to see how you're doing because i'm worried about my black friends right now and i'm thinking where where is where is this coming from why why am i not experiencing this inside the church and so for a number of reasons 
I ended up going on, as I said, this um, this re-examination of Jesus. And I discovered a Jesus who is represented clearly in the text as not an individual who would be dismissive of stuff like that. He was actually one who confronts and subverts oppressive systems of power. Um, you can see that clearly in the way that he deals with the Samaritans, for example. And this is probably something I'm going to go into 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 more detail in in further episodes but as i discovered this jesus who did not dismiss who who was confrontative all in the name of love who was who essentially cared about the things i cared about it took me to this great place of freedom and joy and you know even as much as i am often disappointed in the church as much as i'm often frustrated by the church as often as i'm left confused by the church Jesus has become more and more and more appealing to me. He's become more and more fascinating to me. He's become more and more necessary to me. And so as I talk about the things I'm going to talk about in the episodes that come up, I just want you to know that um, that's the place I'm coming from. It's a very, very short rundown of my life. I could go into so much more detail about it, but this is just the intro. And so if you want to hear more about it, make sure to tune in for the next episode.